Yes. Hello, I am Kojo. This is the Freeman for Podcast, and this is something new for you guys, for you listeners. This is a tactical, more of an analytical breakdown of individual games from the Premier League. Could be the Champions League, could be other competitions. But today we start with Liverpool versus Chelsea, which was played on the 21st of January 2023. It was draw 0-0. Two great sides are currently in a bit of a predicament. We're going to analyse that, and we've got a special guest, of course, a voice you'll recognise. Let's get the show started. Yes, hello and welcome to the Free Before Podcast. As I said, I am Kojo and I am joined by an honorary member of our show. At this point, he's even just family from the podcast world, you know what I'm saying? Steve, welcome back, man. How you doing? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while. Um, it's been a long time in terms of football between the last time we've spoken now and where things are at for, for my team, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into and we'll break it down and have a look at it. So um, I was in, I was looking forward to coming on, but the, the subject matter isn't isn't really easy to speak about in terms of where we are. So um, I'm sure between us, mate, we'll have a look at it, try and understand it, make some sense of it, um, and then hope that the club does exactly the same before the next game, mate. I can't watch too many more games like that. <laughs> well, uh, for those of you who know Steve, he is a very, very, very passionate Liverpool supporter, has been for many years, and he is also very honest about his club through success, through failure, whichever you or whatever you deem to be success and failure. But Liverpool in the last couple of years have been very successful, Premier League winners, Champions League winners, multiple Champions League finals competing with one of the strongest sides in Premier League history, that is the current Man City side, managed by Pep Guardiola, taking them to the limit loads of times, but also have dominated in the year that they won the Premier League. Um, for anyone that remembers that was during the COVID year, but, you know, there's no asterisk on, on that one for me. You win the league, you deserve to win it, and that's it. But this season has been very different. Liverpool are not the Liverpool that we've been used to under Jurgen Klopp in the last four or five years. Um... And we will talk about them in a lot more depth. We'll focus on this game first. Liverpool, Chelsea, nil-nil. Now, um, we'll talk about the lineup first. Um, I will bring that up. Uh, <coughs> I know you will probably remember the lineup. Um, maybe, maybe it's a thing where your manager is, Jurgen Klopp is experimenting. But when you saw the lineup yesterday, what were your thoughts? Uh, were you concerned? Were you a bit worried as to? Who he's picked because I think the notable person missing from the lineup was Trent Alexander Arnold at right back. Uh, Trent trained once last week with a muscular problem, so it was not a surprise. We didn't know until the day and he kept that quiet. And he's only seen once training during the week, same with Darwin Nunes. So it was obvious those guys were going to play some part in the game, not all of it. In yeah. terms of the, the, the team in general, um, we beat Wolves in the FA Cup replay midweek using that midfield you see there, Naby Keita, Stefan Bicetic and Thiago Alcantara. He had alluded to at the end of the game that those people who tried and worked hard for the team were in the box seat for the for the weekend game, being Chelsea fixture. Um, he was true to his word. Not surprised, to be honest with you, because we'll get into this a little bit more. The one thing that Liverpool have lacked per se, throughout the season. His energy in that midfield would have been easy to play against. Um, this is probably, in terms of an 18-year-old, a guy that can control the game in Thiago. And a guy that's very interesting, if you break him down and have a look at his stats, Naby Keita presses as well as anyone ever has for Liverpool. 
mm. just isn't available often enough and, and is a bit of a misnomer in terms of massive transfer fee. Lots and lots of expectation about what he should be. We just can't get a tune out of him. And yeah. and basically for a Liverpool fan, the, the, the underlying thing with Naby Keita is frustration because we, we know there's a player in there. But regretfully, we're not going to see that materialise in a Liverpool shirt because it's pretty much a, a, a poorly kept secret that there's a very strong chance he exits the club on a free in the summer. Um, well, just, just quickly on Abikator, because obviously we know there is a talented footballer there. That's why you signed him. You know, you had a great time in Germany for RB Leipzig. Um, and when he was signed, there was a lot of excitement, I think, from Liverpool fans and for neutrals, people that love the game, you know, putting all rivalry aside again, another talented player coming to the Premier League or exciting to see. Um, be it injuries or sometimes just not the best performances, is it is it one of those ones where you think time is just up on his local career or do you think there's still a player in there that can be <clears throat> brought out by Jurgen Klopp? There's a small chance we may work a deal with him to stay because we, we kind of invested a lot of money in this guy. He's on like 140 grand a week. He's 57 oh, wow. million pounds to buy. It's an 80 plus million pound transfer, all told, that, that, that right now looks like a flop, if we're going to be honest with you. Number of reasons. One is the Naby Keita that played in the Bundesliga is not not something you can bring and drop drop straight in into the Premier League and plug and play. The Premier League offers lots of different um, challenges and lots of different physical attributes. The game itself is considerably quicker, and I think it's not not being disrespectful to the Bundesliga. The standard of opposition is of a notable higher 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 standard. So, with Naby, the situation for me comes down to yes, there's been injury problems. Um, some some defy belief. Um, there's also a lack of trust, and that lack of trust was never more sort of evident than the quarterfinal of the Champions League against Real Madrid, uh, playing in the B team stadium because the Bernabeu was out of commission. He was taken off before half time because he just wasn't reading the game plan. And ultimately, if you ask any Liverpool fan who studies the games with any degree of uh, intensity, his performance in the first half cost us the tie. We were 2 0 down because. We were carrying a passenger in midfield that really wasn't performing to the game plan. Liverpool's system is so rigid. It has to, everybody has to execute it to the nth degree. One person that doesn't do it can cause the whole thing to fall down. You've heard me talk to you many, many times, Kojo, about Liverpool's system being ridiculously efficient, but also very, very vulnerable. And it's very vulnerable when one man doesn't do his job. And in that particular game, that personifies the issue we have with Naby Keita in terms of you can't always trust him to deliver what the team requires. It's it's very different, and I'll go back 18 months, two years. If you put the team up two years ago, you'd see Henderson, Fabinho and, and Genie Wijnaldum, which yes. would be a very flat midfield three with a six and two ball recyclers either side. That was the ruthlessly efficient side of Liverpool's system. They stopped you, they suffocated you, they gave you no space to play and then they took the ball off you and then the front three were away. Nowadays, um, depending on who's playing in midfield, we have a, a lack of legs, we have a lack of athleticism, we have a lack of uh, rigidity in terms of the system and we certainly don't have two world-class ball, ball recyclers left and right of the six. Yeah. Um, so, so we've struggled in that regard. I am of the opinion, and I know a lot of Liverpool fans share this opinion, that you can't play that system with the current squad we've got. Yeah, well, this is this is where I wanted to ask the question of um, challenging your opponents because obviously Chelsea are not in great form either. I believe Chelsea are 
well, it, well, going into this game, they were uh, placed below you in the league. Um, they were tenth, but you were ninth. Uh, <laughs> quickly, on, quickly on their lineup. Having saw their lineup, so I mean, you know, as the opposition, you would have to look at their their team, their midfield, the defense, and see if there's anyone you can exploit. You know, um, any size you would prefer to attack them because maybe that's the perceived weaker side of their team. But looking at their lineup. Um, especially with a new partnership at the back of Benoit, Badiashile and Thiago Silva, um, new to mm. each other. Did you look at that as a potential weakness? Um, or was there maybe like a side where you thought maybe if we look down their left side, we could maybe attack Corella or maybe just get past Conor Gallagher? What was your thinking before the game? So the first thing you look at when you look at that side is where have they spent £500 million? Because you look at that squad, it's not a well-beaten squad, is it? And it yeah. really should be for £500 million is what the point I'm trying to make. That whole back four for me um, would struggle against um, a very quick transition, some pace and some directness. And this is why I wanted Darwin Nunes to start the game because I wanted Darwin Nunes to play on the Thiago Silva and Trevor Chalaba partnership because Trevor Chalaba's okay, but yeah. he's not a world-class defender. Yeah. Thiago Silva is a world-class defender in terms of what goes on inside of his head, the IQ of the game but physically might struggle against a very direct opponent because he's 37. And we need to bear that in mind. He might even be older than that now. Um, yeah. And he does struggle against directness. Um, Badashali is an unknown quantity. And Mark Cucurella, for me, is a better attacking left-back than he is as a defensive one. So from, from a Liverpool perspective, I wanted to see Liverpool test this back four. I also took a look at the midfield and thought, they're suffering exactly the same thing that we're suffering this season, and that's why we're ninth and tenth respectively, or ninth and eleventh. I think it is now. I think Brentford or somebody split us up now. Um, they don't have pace. They don't have power. They don't have athleticism. If you sat and watched the game, you wouldn't notice Jorginho was playing. He was not a feature in the game. He's not a factor in the game. You, you, you couldn't single him out and say Jorginho had a good game. But there were times when I had to remind myself he was even playing. Because he, he just went about a quiet but effective job in yeah. trying to tidy up the midfield. I didn't think this game would turn into a, a battle of the midfield because I don't think either team right now trusts their midfield. So I would I would imagine that both teams would have gone deeper with their back line and played a quicker transition, bypassing the midfield lots and lots of times, which Chelsea did, by the way, hitting long diagonals, trying to get runners in behind. But let's be honest about it. Um Hakim Ziyech is a technical footballer rather than a speed merchant. Kai Havertz is a technical footballer rather than a speed merchant. Conor Gallagher played quite deep. He didn't play specifically where you got him there because as the game wore on, they pulled him in deeper to try and shore up that midfield. And Mason Mount is a wonderful footballer and we're linked with him, obviously, because his contract's coming to an end. But this is a guy for me that's gone really stale. It's not the Mason Mount that, that everybody would look at and go, this is a game changer. Cast your mind back to the League Cup final against Liverpool. Mason Mount could have won that by himself, but he didn't. He didn't take his chances. Um, this is a guy that potentially needs a massive change in tactics or a change in club to get the best out of him. I think he's gone stale. So I came into this game looking at Chelsea thinking, I can see why they're 10th. But if you were sitting here talking to a, a, a Chelsea fan, they would say, I can see Liverpool were ninth. So it's kind of two two teams in poor form at the moment. But from a Liverpool perspective, <coughs> I looked at this team and that doesn't look like a half billion pound team to me. And I could see a number of areas where we might be able to benefit. I thought Andy Robertson would find playing against Hakim Ziyech quite easy. 
and be able to impress himself going forward. And that's pretty much what happened. Andy Robertson at times was Liverpool's driving force because we went with a 37-year-old right back whose first job was to was to shore up the defence and make sure we were solid, resilient, and didn't give away goals. Yeah. So I think I think you talk depending on who you're talking to, I could see an opportunity for us to get at Chelsea. And I'm sure Chelsea fans would tell you a very similar story, but on the other foot, they thought they could get at Liverpool. Yeah, well, you, you spoke about uh, the fullbacks, and that's actually what I wanted to go to next because looking at how the teams approached the game, it looked like, um, well, anytime naturally when uh, Andrew Robertson went forward, they will try and get the ball to Ziyech as quickly as possible. But a lot of their attacks went down your right side, and actually, some of, a lot of your attacks went down their left side. So it was looked at as Milner and as I say Cucurella would be the weakest options, especially considering Mason Mount is not the best going backwards uh, to help. And I think Liverpool are trying to get, well, you can tell me you're no better than me anyway. Salah is a goal getter. He always gets goals, but he started out the season a lot more wider than we used to, or we've been used to um, during the season. But I think he's trying to get a lot more into the, um, the inside forward spaces to get his goals um Back up because he's Liverpool's main goal getter. Um, was Milner? I don't think it was bad, so I don't want to use. I don't want to call him the weak link, but was he the the weak link that they had to they had to target? Is he the player they had to target rather, not the weakest link? Uh, on paper, yes. How it comes to pass tactically, probably not, hmm. because he was more likely to stay at home than Trent. So that big area of space that teams hit diagonal balls into and try and get. Uh, given goes and third man running into that space wasn't really an option um, for Chelsea because Milner was more inclined to stay at home. He didn't overlap. He didn't bomb on. He didn't become particularly inverted like Trent's been trying to do to become a playmaker. He was in there to be more of an orthodox right back, if you like, and play more of a, of a holding right back position rather than someone who was bombing on, which is why I alluded to the fact that um, we tried to get Andy Robbo to work down that side to pull Chelsea across, switch across and have a go at the, the, the gap between Cucurella and um, Badi Adashio. So, so basically hoping that Mo Salah would find himself in the half space, but it didn't work out that way. So, on that point, it's a really interesting point you make. Mo Salah has gone out wider this, this season and when Liverpool are not playing particularly well, that becomes a feature of his game. He drifts out wider and wider and wider until he's got the old cliched saying he's got whitewash on his football boots. Yeah. Add to that that Darwin Nunes very often picks on the centre-back who he wants to isolate early doors, who he knows he can beat, he knows he's got the legs on him, he knows he can get by him. And very often he will play in that half-space. So let me give you, for instance, against Everton, we played against, he played directly up against Connor Cody. And Connor Cody was was the left-sided centre-back for, 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 for Everton. So he, took, he targeted him and wanted to play against him. So he's running into the space where, in years gone by, Mo Salah would make his inverted run into to arrive into the into the spaces to create his goals. So for, for that reason, we didn't want two players in the same area, same position on the pitch. So Darwin Nunes understanding his role in the Liverpool team, that we can't play around one man, isolating one defender. That makes you very one-dimensional. Um, it makes it difficult to, to find opportunities elsewhere. When everybody's fit, and the front three for me will be Salah on the right, it'll be Nunes through the centre and Diaz down the left. Diaz and, and Nunes will dovetail quite a bit because they're both comfortable playing on the left. Diaz likes to come inside. 
Nunes likes to go to the to the left hand side, and Salah will be able to drift across into the pockets of space that's left by the number nine that's working in tandem with the left winger. Because of injuries, because of availability, we've not been able to see that. So, Marshall is not having a great season. He's still got very good GA for the season. He's not having a great season and he's not scoring high-profile goals like he has in in recent years. I've said many, many times when I've spoken to you and Cahill, irrespective of whether it's Liverpool, Manchester United, whoever, you have to give creative footballers the ball in an area they can use it, an area where they can hurt their opponents. And we're not doing that with most other. The service is pretty poor at the moment. So, in terms of that, our midfield's an issue that, that quite rightly has been spoken about. Outside of that, our front three is an issue also in terms of the movement, in terms of the press. We'll get into that when we look at the stats and what have you. But the front six for Liverpool has been a problem all season for me. Well, um, and we, we'll get into that as well because now we've got the passes below on the screen. So, for those of you that can't see, Liverpool completed. I, I think it's completed. I don't know if it's essentially completed. My stats may be wrong, so we're just going to work with it for now anyway. Um, 427 short passes to Chelsea's 505. Obviously, we know um, Graham Potter's style of football is a lot more position-based, so Chelsea's numbers on that side will go up. But the long passes, I don't like using the term long balls because I feel like we've got players that know what they do when they play the long passes. Long yeah. balls seems more like a get up there and see what happens kind of thing. Um, 62 uh, Liverpool to Chelsea's 42. Um, again, Steve, you'll know better than me for Liverpool. Um <coughs> The long passes, 62 isn't, for me, a huge number. Because mm-hmm. if you play 90 minutes, you know, you, you can switch the ball. You can play long passes over the defence. Um, but is that something new to Liverpool? Or is it something uh, that's just not working? Because in this game, I can remember about two or three that did work. Namely, one that was the young uh, midfielder, Bajetic. Is that, is that how you say his name? Bajetic, yeah. Yeah, Bajetic, um played a ball through to or over the top to Mo Salah, who got the ball on the right side and it did attack um, before he saw Gakpo, who just hit it um, over the bar. Um, is that something that's been working overall? I mean, I know results based, yes, it's not working, but overall, in terms of over time, the long passes, <laughs> the approach, finding Salah's, maybe Amani's beforehand, Firmino's, is that something that works for Liverpool that's just not working now? It's always something we've been able to do. It's always been an option of ours. And you, you, you cast your mind back to the Bayern Munich away game when Van Dijk hit Marne with a 60-yard and he turned Neuer on the defence inside out and scored. So that's always been an option for Liverpool. What we're finding this season, and I'll go back to the press issue, because we're pressing singularly. Do you remember when Liverpool fans laughed at Bruno Fernandes trying to press Virgil van Dijk at Anfield and we won 4-0? Yes. We're doing, we're doing what Bruno Fernandes was doing which is right. one man is leading what he thinks is a trigger for a press and everyone else has stood watching him and it looks really poor on that one man. So mm-hmm. I now have some sympathy for Bruno Fernando, Fernandes trying to do that rather than just ridiculing it. Um, so what we're seeing at the moment with Liverpool is because our press isn't working and if you've ever watched Liverpool's press from on high, the midfield and the front line move at the same time. So when you press the, the defender on the ball and he has to let it go, he's got no short pass and he goes long, the midfielders who will be contesting for the ball are smothered by originally Wijnaldum, Henderson and Fabinho and you take the ball off them just inside the opposition's half when you're on the front foot and you're attacking. We can't do that anymore. We're winning much more ball back now through the back four because teams are getting space to play through our midfield, through the lines or runners, runners off our midfield and through the lines. 
because we don't trust what's been going on in the midfield in terms of the athleticism, the pace, the power and the energy, and it isn't working, we're hitting much longer laser-guided long balls, if you like. Transition balls, we'll call them, rather than long balls, into spaces for the likes of Salah, for Nunes, Diaz, um, Gakpo's quick, but we haven't really seen him stretch his legs yet. That will become a key factor of the remainder of the season for Liverpool because the midfield isn't working particularly well. So, for me, it's forced. It's not not generally a tactic as such. I think we'd much rather have Thiago pulling the strings on a game of football um, with two guys either side of him that can support him. But when it does break down, because Thiago tries expansive shots and there's uh, expansive passes, and there's always an opportunity you give the ball away. But Liverpool this season are giving the ball away more than any other. So, we're winning a lot more balls back via the back four because we don't look at the midfield as being someone we can play through. We're bypassing them with transition balls left and right through the centre and trying to pick out the runners. And in Darwin Nunes, we've got such a quick forward. If he isolates any central defender in the Premier League one-on-one, he will beat them for pace. There isn't a central defender that can match him. And he's quicker running with the ball than they are without. It's ridiculous how fast he is. We're in danger of becoming a side that relies too heavily on that. This is why we need to sort out our midfield balance. I would be interested to see the stats that you just gave us, 62-42, up until the point when Darwin Nunes enters the fray on about 65-70 minutes. Because we try it more when he's on the pitch, because he gives you that option, because he's going to pull out, he did pull out left an awful lot and try and isolate um, Thiago Silva, who played him very well when he did it, to be fair. There were two occasions in particular where he just didn't dive in, he just sat in his space and said to, to Nunes, you can't do anything with the ball while I'm here. And that's the experience and that's the IQ that Silva's got. But I think from 70 minutes, it was probably closer to being even Stevens in terms of 40-odd each. And then we went really, really direct when Nunes came on because we wanted to use that pace. So in answer to your question, is it is it a deliberate ploy? It can be. Is it more frequent now than it ever was before? Yes, it is. Why is that? Because we're not relaxed, we're not comfortable, we're under pressure and we're forcing games and we're forcing passes. And the final segment of that particular question would be, I don't think we, we are particularly confident when we give the midfield our, the ball uh, in and around the centre circle, they can find a way to play through the lines. So we're much more direct than we've ever been. And it's as a result of the current form we're in and the pressure we're playing under. Yeah, well, yeah. let's, let's get into Liverpool as a whole now. Um, so for those of you that watch the game, um, it wouldn't go down as the best Liverpool versus Chelsea affair. We've had some very dramatic games in the past between the two clubs. I think for Chelsea, I think the bright light was the young man coming off the bench, the young Ukrainian winger they've signed. Um, I think you say he's Murdich. If I, I might be wrong, but we'll get his name on right in the future. Um, but other than that, they had very little. I mean, they had a goal chalked off rightfully, so if offside. So no problems there. Um, but we'll go to Liverpool again. And we just want to let's try and jump into the season because... All banter aside, for me personally, I've been quite surprised at how the form has dropped on Liverpool. And I, from the outside looking in, was saying, you know, maybe you need a new midfield, you know, new midfield players, because it looked like not only would it be out of form, it's just playing a club style of football for a number of years can really take it out of you after a while. And there needs to be fair rotation and these be players that you can bring in and rely upon. So, you know, Milner can do that job every now and then, but obviously now that he's a bit older, it's not working the same way. So Fabinho is a lot more tired. 
Um, especially when Van Dijk was injured last year or the year before, he had to go into centre-back as well. So he was doing two different roles. Um, but, you know, let's talk about your midfield first. Um, because a lot of the, the things I hear from some Liverpool fans is they're not as good at protecting defence as they used to. And because of that, the defenders are being a lot more exposed, which leads to a lot more criticism of the defenders because, you know, if they're making mistakes, which happens in football, they looked at as the main reasons why Liverpool are dropping form. Obviously, you spoke about the front line as well. Um, Diaz, a great player that came in, was on fire, major injury. Mane's obviously gone. Um, Firmino, uh, I'm not sure what's happened with Firmino. You, you would he's know injured that. at the moment. He is injured he's at the moment. Injured. Okay, so he's injured as well. Um, Salah, well, Salah's, Salah is Mo Salah for sure. Jota got an injury as well. That's another yeah. one. Um, and you know, Fabio Carvalho, Harvey Elliott, these are young boys, you can't expect them to hit the ground running all the time and just go crazy like uh Mbappe or whoever else has gone off from 18 in the past. But let's talk about the midfield. Is the midfield transition period one of the biggest reasons why Liverpool's form and lack of backing may be in the window as well? If that is the case, uh, for midfielders anyway, um, is that a major reason why Liverpool's form has deteriorated this season? Yes, it is. First of all, address the investment issue. So lots of Liverpool fans will tell you they haven't backed the manager. So in the last three transfer windows, they've spent well over £100 million on Nunes, Diaz and Gakpo. So I'd argue they have, they have backed the manager. They never said they'd, they'd go head-to-head -head with Manchester City with a checkbook. They never said that's why they were coming to the club. We know full well that FSG have come to Liverpool as a financial and a business transaction. But there was a certain amount of housekeeping to do to get you there. And that, that included improving the team, bringing better players and all of that good stuff. Um, so they have backed the manager in terms of the money. The one that we question more than any other is we would rather have spent the £38 million on a midfielder than Cody Gakpo. No disrespect to Cody Gakpo because I think in, in due course of time, he will prove to be a good signing for Liverpool because he's a good player. We needed a centre midfielder more than we needed a left winger to play through the centre and, and play in an awkward position. We needed a midfielder more than we did that. That being said, Kojo, one centre midfielder does not solve Liverpool's problems. You could go and spend £75 million tomorrow on Moises Caicedo, put him in the midfield at Liverpool and the other two had let him down in terms of the, the physicality and the ability to run with people who, who, who wanted to run at you. Brighton, for instance, in recent weeks, we played them and we got we got well beaten at Brighton. They would have been looking forward to getting at our midfield. If you can play Liverpool and identify and either isolate their centre midfielders one-on-one -on -one to a series of 50-50 challenges, you you will likely beat Liverpool because the physicality isn't there anymore. Right. So, yes, this, this should have started three transfer windows ago, this development of, of the midfield. What have we got at the moment? Jordan Henderson has played 470 times for Liverpool in a centre midfield that asks an awful lot of you in terms of physicality. We've run his blood to water. If you watch him play for an hour and he gets substituted, he looks uncomfortable walking off the pitch, never mind running round. We have a very, very labour-intensive midfield that's really taken out of a player like that. Plus the fact, just shy of two years ago, <clears throat> absolutely horrendous injury. Really bad. Literally, you could see the explosion in the leg when he was running with the ball. It was that bad. That's taken something out of him. It would take something out of anybody. Yeah. Fabinho has played 190 plus times for Liverpool 
in the same labour-intensive midfield. Only this year, it's more labour-intensive because to be a good number six, your two number eights have to work for you, and that hasn't been happening. So he's been pulled, pushed all over the place, and he's out of form himself. And then you've got Thiago, who's played approaching 100 times for Liverpool since he signed for the club. That's more football on a season-by-season basis than Thiago has ever played in his life because we know that Thiago didn't play full seasons for either Bayern Munich or, or Barcelona due to injuries and due to tactical changes. And Thiago isn't the centre midfielder you buy to play on the stretch, running back towards his own goal when you're under pressure. That's not getting the best out of Thiago. That's not allowing him to be all the things he needs to be. So in terms of our midfield, it's gassed. That's the that's the honest appraisal of it. It's absolutely shot to ribbons. They don't know they can't physically keep up with these McAllisters, the Caicedos. Now, even against Manchester United, you were able to play through our midfield with consummate ease early on in the season. And it was hard, hard, hard to watch. That's been the cornerstone of Liverpool's success, is is that rigid midfield, flat three that, that stops you playing, is is aggressive, is a good ball winner. Ronaldo could play football, Fabinho could play football, Henderson could play football, but they just bullied you and they stopped you doing anything you wanted to do in the middle of your midfield. That's gone. That element is now gone. And now every single time we line up against somebody, people are saying, who's in their midfield three this week? We can get at them. I know this because I do Oppo previews for Red Men TV and I talk to quite high-profile fans from other clubs and they say, we just want to get it in your midfield, mate. We just want to have a go at your central midfield three. We can see it, you can see it, the club can see it, yeah. but they don't do anything about it. The fact that the club is up for sale right now and we don't want to commit ourselves to massive amounts of money is holding us back. <clears throat> the fact that Chelsea are going offering seven and a half year deals to footballers under yeah. the term Amos Highest Finance, where they give £70 million for a player and over seven years they put it through their books at £10 million per year. Yeah. because they offset it against the contract. The rest of football needs to wake up because that's how you circumnavigate FFP. And unless they do something to change that, we're going to see NBA and NFL-style contracts given left, right and centre to players to keep your expenditure down. Yeah. We could do that. We did it with Thiago to some degree. We bought Thiago over four years for £7.5 million a year. That's how we pay for Thiago. Okay. We need to start to think to do that. We've got issues in the back room where Julian Ward is leaving. Michael Edwards has already left. The head of uh, analytics and research has tendered his resignation in, in January. Wow. There, there's some change. Julian Ward's job now is not the job that he was recruited to do because Klopp and Lind Linders are much more directly involved in the recruitment of players. That didn't happen before. Michael Edwards was 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 key. So it's, it's no surprise that the you know, director of football, the guy that's pulling all the, the, the chains and all the levers to get players in has decided actually this is very different and I want to move on. What the future holds for Liverpool in that regard, I don't know. That will be answered by whoever takes control of the football club and how they see a business model going forward. So the midfield right now is the biggest issue for Liverpool in terms of <clears throat> does it support the front three in terms of the press? No, it doesn't. Can the front three press? No, because the midfield can't press. Yet we still operate with high back line, knowing that our centre midfield can't press. It makes no sense. It's, so, is it? Go up. Sorry, sorry. Is it? Is it? Is it a case of bringing in more? I mean, because apart from obviously the young man, uh, Bajatic, and I think Nabi Keita, I don't know how old he is now, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, possibly. 
Um, is it is it an age thing? Is it? I mean, obviously you've mentioned the amount of games Henderson as I didn't even know that. That's crazy amount of games to play. And considering he's been there, I think his longest tenure is under Klopp as a manager. Anyway, having from when he joined the club. Um, is it a case of getting more youthful midfielders in that can sustain that style of football with the press and you know the constant maybe more like a box-to-box role? Or is it is it maybe a thing where you sign a different type of midfielder to change the way the team plays? If we get Drew Bellingham across the line, right. there's a big if. That changes the way we play. That changes our system. That changes our structure because he's more dynamic and he's box to box. And we would want him to play in the mode of a Steven Gerrard where he picks up the ball and he drives at you and he asks you questions because he's technically good enough to do that, because he's quick enough to do that, because he's physical enough to do that, because he's got an all-round game which would say, actually, we're not going to sign Jude Bellingham to sit him as a right centre midfielder in a flat three and just be a ball recycler. That would be totally against everything that guy can do. We said, as Liverpool fans, and I've said to you before, when we had that midfield three, and I know I keep harping back to it, but there's a reason for that, because that's when we were at our most effective. Jordan Henderson didn't need to be a world-class footballer. Jordan Henderson needs to be world-class at discipline, world-class at doing his job, world-class at recycling a ball. Same thing for Genie Wijnaldum, and the reality is they were world-class at what they did. Technically, mm. as footballers... Jordan Henderson couldn't go and play for uh, for uh, Barcelona, for instance, because he doesn't have the technical game that, that, that a Pedri or a, or a Xavi has. He's not that type of player. Now he's tired and he's 32 and he's played 470 games and he's had injuries and he's, he's in his testimonial season at the football club. Mm-hmm. Football has evolved. Football has moved on. Other teams in and around the Premier League, we saw it on day one with Fulham, have brought energetic centre midfielders in that can play football. Yeah. <coughs> Matthias Nunes, who plays for Wolves, and he came on in the FA Cup first game we had with them, was able to run off our midfield at will. Three right. years ago, he'd have got nowhere near our midfield. They would have just stopped him playing. So, yes, we need to sign a different type of footballer because football has evolved. Systems need to evolve. Footballers have evolved. And we're now trying to do the same thing with players that just don't have the same energy in the tank as they had three years ago. 470 games doing what we asked Jordan Henderson to do uh, um, is an awful lot. He's a tremendous leader. He's a tremendous communicator. He's a tremendous role model. He's a tremendous organiser. And he's arguably one of the best captains we've ever had. You wouldn't put him in a 100 metres race against other Premier League centre midfielders if that was decided to do for a bit of fun. And... The other teams are saying to us, right, we're going to go one-on-one against him. Caicedo, for instance, will pick up Jordan Henderson and say, do you know what? You're a, you're a smashing footballer in terms of all of the things that Steve just said, but I know I can push the ball past you and run you. And that is what's happening now. And Manchester United did it to us. Arsenal did it to us. Fulham did it to us. I could sit here and go on. For goodness sake, Cody, Nottingham Forest did it to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the situation is that Every now and then you have to look at it and you have to say, we've got to keep it fresh. We've got to keep it fresh. There aren't two midfielders in world football that could have solved Liverpool's problem. To Shemini, who was 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 rumoured to be quite close before Real Madrid came in, Jude Bellingham being the other. It, it should never have been a two-player window where if you can't get either of them, you don't get anybody. That, that should never have been the case. Mm. So we are 
struggling at the moment. Curtis Jones, for me, is a squad player. You know, he's a, he's a nice footballer in certain games, but he's a squad player. Naby Keita is a squad player. doesn't give us what we need. Thiago is a wonderful footballer when things are going well for you, but not running back towards your own goal every 30 seconds. That's not how you get the best of him. Fabinho's legs are gone. I don't know if he ever recovers that form. Jordan Henderson's been magnificent, but he's 32 years old. He's 470 games into a Liverpool career and he just hasn't got the same energy in the tank as he had before. And it's been remiss of the football club to say, actually, we can get by with these blokes. Because we then swapped out Mane, which you quite rightly referenced, who is really key to our, our press. Yeah. And we can't rely on Bobby Firmino every week, who was a trigger to our press. Yeah. So we're asking Darwin Nunes to learn to press. Ben Fika didn't press. No, no, he didn't. Oh, he got to learn to press. He didn't. He press. Nope. <laughs> and we've got uh, Luis Diaz, who does press. Luis Diaz is, is amazing. Luis Diaz does all the things you, you would want in a Liverpool. We all said it before he signed. If ever there's a Liverpool player out there that Liverpool should sign, Luis Diaz is, is that man because of the work ethic. Yeah. But since, since opening up the knee joints against Arsenal, going down heavily under challenge, and then the complication with that, we haven't been able to call on that. This is why I said to you earlier on in, in the stream, our front six is a problem. It's not just the midfield. Yeah. But that is, is a glaring issue because you've probably questioned Virgil van Dijk this season in terms of his form. A, he's been carrying an injury. I am absolutely convinced of that. The club haven't said it, but I'm absolutely convinced of it. Okay. And B, he's got four or five people running at him. So his number nine is pulling him right towards pulling him towards Andy Robertson, taking him to the number nine's right to create the space. Best example of that would be uh, Dewsbury Hall's goal against Liverpool, where he, he broke the press. He broke an attempted challenge by Jordan Henderson. Matip went out to engage him far too far up the pitch, was able to bypass Matip. And then whoever was playing up front for Leicester decided, right, I'm going to run Virgil van Dijk towards Andy Robertson. And then what you have, is a massive chasm of space and the guy's clean through and scores a goal. That's something we've seen over and over and over again in post-Genie Ronaldo and Liverpool because we cannot cover the spaces in midfield. We cannot stop the runners. We cannot stop third man running. So the midfield for me is is dead. It's dead on its legs in there. It's, it's, I've got so much admiration for them because they've won so many trophies and done so much. Every now and then you have to look at, set, look at the midfield and say they need some help. They need a body in there that's athletic. Sangakar, for instance, would have been a would have been a really good um Sankari, however you say it, would have been a really good option as a six. At this moment in time, we're rotating between Bicetic, Henderson and Fabinho, and two of those guys have got no energy to run. Okay, then let's let's address let's address the front the front six as well, because one thing that I've noticed about Liverpool this year is the chances. Now, when you talk about chances in Liverpool, the first name of everybody that zips is um, Darwin Nunez because he is the high-profile signing. Yep. The amount of money he was signed for. So when he's he only misses chances, they're brought to the table a lot more than other players. But reality is, strikers miss chances. That's just football. Because he's got a good amount of goals as well. And if we're being fair to him, it wouldn't be highlighted so much if it, if it was for Haaland because he's scoring a ridiculous number of goals. Yeah, yeah. But the return that Darwin Nunez has given Liverpool is actually pretty good. And considering how much of a troublemaker he is for defences, he's actually having a good season, in my opinion. But 
chances are missed, not only by him in that front line. Um, I, I want to compile it also with the defence, and I want to bring up the question of mentality, because I remember Jurgen Klopp, again, loved these players, and he called them mentality monsters, because there was a time period in your era of um, Klopp's success at the club where it seemed like even in games where you'd go down, you, you just couldn't lose. There was no way Liverpool would lose. And they'd also find a way to win. It wouldn't be come back to draw, it would come back to win. But in recent time, especially this season, when Liverpool go behind, they find it difficult in games. And they're, they're losing a lot more than they're drawing. Um, so the question of mentality. You've spoken about the midfield. Is there Has there been a change in the... The forward line, I mean, new players, of course, but in general, just the forward line and the back line. Because apart from Ibrahima Konate, and I guess Simikas would be the two newest additions to that back line. Has something changed, in your opinion, looking at how they play, looking at the attitudes after they go down? Has there been a change in mentality within the players? Has it been a club thing <coughs> about ball members coming and going? So that comes with mentality of the club as well. It's just, just is there just a a mentality changing at the club that just needs time to build back up or is it just a case of bad luck? There's a number of things. We, we go to a Champions League final, we lose to Madrid, we reinvent ourselves and we win it the following year. And in the same year that we win it, we lose the league by a point, scoring 97 points. Absolutely yeah. insane that you lose the league at 97 points, but we did. We went, dealt with that, we used the adversity to our advantage we came back and used the high line to our, our, our massive benefit in terms of allowing VAR to help us with questionable decisions by playing a really high back line and we win the league. Following season, we have a, an unbelievable amount of injuries, yet we still managed 28 out of the last 30 points, playing Reese Williams and Nat Phillips at centre-back. And we finished third, five points behind Manchester United. And it was tagged as the worst defence of the title uh, of the title winning team ever which is absolutely ludicrous um, the following season we go close again and we also go challenge for a quadruple we are 180 minutes away from football in immortality in reality we're probably 15 minutes away from football in immortality because I think if Manchester City don't overturn the two goal deficit against Villa and we win the league the there's enough euphoria, and there's enough emphasis, and there's enough momentum to go to Paris and get a result against Real Madrid. Okay. We don't get that, and we end up with a domestic cup double, which is nothing to be sniffed at by any stretch. It's a great achievement. Yeah, exactly. But it isn't what we wanted, and it isn't what we set our hearts on, and it isn't what we closed in on, and different players handle that disappointment differently. There are only so many times you can try Herculean uh, achievements that take it out of you physically before mentally and psychologically you just can't do it anymore yeah. and that, that, I think that is an issue with some of the members of the squad and I think that's why some of the players are fatigued and I don't know if they'll ever get it back again the front three you take Mane out who pressed the life out of everybody was aggressive physical great footballer but yeah. was the third time he'd asked to leave the football club for a new challenge so you can't keep somebody that feels that way we have to let him go Bobby Firmino is picking up injuries as he comes to sort of the early 30s and we can't rely on him season in, season out, game in, week in, week out. We spoke about Gakpo, we spoke about Nunes, we, we haven't spoken about Jota, but Jota still had to learn how to press in the Liverpool way. Yeah. <clears throat> the dynamic has changed. 
every now and then as a manager, you need to stumble across something that's slightly fortuitous. Let's look at Alex Ferguson, class of 92, who will never be seen again, was never seen before. He stumbled across a blend of young men who complemented each other with his tactical awareness and the ability to add players to it at the right time. Manchester United went on a run of success, which is absolutely ridiculous, let's be honest. We had the look in the sense that we had the six, the front six. The midfield three and the front three complemented each other in terms of getting the press right. Every single game, they were amazing at pressing. Yeah, We've changed four of those players because we can't very often call on Fabinho and Henderson to play together anymore. And we've replaced them with, with, with players of a different nature. They're not like for like. Bobby Firmino is a one-off. There's not another player in world football that does what Bobby Firmino does. You could argue Joe Felix potentially could play that role because he's intelligent enough to do that and he's creative enough to do that. But Bobby Firmino is a one-off. What he does for Liverpool, nobody else does for anybody. You know, In terms of the press, in terms of the creativity, in terms of the selflessness to create opportunities for other people. He is a, a Liverpool legend and when his time is over, he'll be rightly celebrated as that and, and, and I will have no problem with that. But he's not the player he was two, three years ago. We, we're trying to do the same thing with different players, which is why I said to you 15, 20 minutes ago, you can't ask this squad to play the way that the title-winning team played because they're different bodies in the same positions who offer you different things. So we will have to change which is why I'm an advocate of 4-2-4. But to play 4-2-4, your two in the middle have to be absolutely exceptional at covering space, at winning the balls back, at being disciplined, at being physical, at being able to cover short distances very, very quickly to, to shut out danger. Our midfield can't do it. They're still brilliant footballers. Absolutely. What we're asking them to do in terms of our, our system, our formation and what the what we don't get from the front three anymore is, is too big a stretch for the midfield. They just physically can't do it. So that that has a knock-on effect on the back three, on the back on the on the sorry, on the back four, in terms of now we've got midfielders running at our back four that we've never seen before. But hang on a minute, what's this? This is new. Yeah. How has Hughesby Hall got a free run at Matic? Why is Matic going out pressurizing the ball 35 yards out? All you've got to do is drop a shoulder and go past him. He's six foot four, six foot five. Takes him a time to turn and recover. Can't do it. I would much rather, when that situation arose, the centre backs came closer together. The full back saw it as an opportunity to come inside and make a really tight back four and say to the likes of Jews, behold, go on then, try and beat us now, instead of trying to engage him and win the ball back high. So, as a result, all back to the front six, as a result of the front six being able to do. The press from the front three, the press from the middle three, or the containment from the middle three, are, it's like the Alamo. Our defence have got players running at them from every conceivable angle that there is. Yeah. Well, um, OK, then what we'll do is wrap up finally on Jürgen Klopp, because, I mean, in football, unfortunately, all the butt goes to the manager. Mm-hmm. Even if players are not playing well, everybody goes straight to the manager straight away. Because in football, it just costs a lot more to sack footballers than it is to sack managers. So it's managers have to go first. But Klopp sacking, I've heard that one or two times. That's nonsense. The guy's been brilliant for Liverpool. There's no need to change that right now. However, I will say this. Um, for me personally, and then you'll, you'll give your side, of course. Um, <laughs> he needs to adopt a plan B. 
I'm not saying a plan B in terms of, you know, signing a different type of striker, you know, how, that how like England used to think Peter Cross would be the plan B in the World Cup, despite having your young colours and other tall strikers in the past. I'm talking about, like, you, what are you talking about? A different approach, you know, because if you do sign Jude Bellingham, he's not going to do the same job that Wijnaldum did or no. vice versa. But this season, just for this season alone, because we're not going to sign Bellingham this, this um, January, maybe in the summer, possibly. What do you need from him from now to the end of the season? Is it now time to look at the players that he has and say, okay, what I'm doing is not working. He has to just change things quickly. Or do you think he still persists because what he's, the formula he's had, it has worked. I mean, <laughs> overall, but sometimes there is time for a change. Yeah, I, I'd like to see him make changes. I'd like to see him recognise that we need to be more difficult to beat. How do we do that? Well, we drop the back line back 20 yards. We take a more traditional sort of edge of the box defensive position and we play on the counter-attack because we've got the bodies to do that. Once Luis Diaz is back, Luis Diaz on the left, Darwin Nunes from the centre, Mo Salah on the right, show me a quicker front three in world football. You won't be able to. So you'll be able to invite teams onto you. In, in the likes of Van Dijk when he comes back from injury, in the likes of Trent, in the likes of Robbo, you've got guys who can hit diagonal balls into corners, transition balls all day long and do it with, with a plum, with skill, with expertise. We yeah. very often use Virgil van Dijk's out ball to Salah when teams are trying to press us. It might need to become a factor of our game more and more. What Jurgen Klopp did when he joined the club was having a look at his, mid, his midfield in particular, have a look at his squad and say, right, what can I do with these guys? I can create a hybrid system that isn't exactly what I want. It gives me some of what I'm looking for and it gives me a little bit of dynamic uh, attacking play. We may need to look at doing that again. If we continue to persist with 4-3-3 in the way that we have been with the bodies that we're using, then the second half of the season will be as long as the first half of the season. What's the bigger problem? All successful managers are stubborn. We know this. Ferguson is stubborn. Wenger yeah. was stubborn. Guardiola is stubborn. How many times has all of those so-called football pundits and all of YouTube and all of Twitter gone and said, stop making changes in Champions League finals and you'll win one? Yet he goes and does something completely off the cuff that, that doesn't help and they lose the game. Mm. And I'm referencing not playing the CDM against uh, Chelsea in particular. Yeah. Stop being stubborn because that's a bigger problem than putting your hands up and saying, actually, this isn't working, guys. I need to change this. It's a bigger admittance of failure to carry on trying. What do they say? The first sign of insanity is to keep doing the same things, trying to get a different result. Yes. Yeah. Change it. Change it. Do something different. Go for a 3-4-3 three, three where you, or a 3-5-2 where you put your wing-backs on the edge of your midfield and you play three centre-backs. When you haven't got the ball, you call the, the wing-backs back and you suddenly become like a, like a five. But we're too easy to play against. We're too easy to score against. We're too easy to counter-attack against. We're too easy for people to run off our, off our midfield. But it isn't all bad because in the front three, if used correctly and given the time and the space to run into, I said before, Darwin Nunes will beat any centre-back to a ball over 30, 40 yards. It's, it's, it's not a contest. He's rapid. He's so quick. Luis Diaz will beat 90% of your centre-backs to the ball. Mo yeah. Salah, is the slowest of the three. But you still say Mo Salah is a really quick player. Yeah. 
So forsake this, this, we want to play 4-3-3 because it's the Liverpool way and it's what we've done and it's brought us success. Yes, it brings you success when you've got the right players with the right attributes to play in that formation. Not right now, we can't do it. Got to protect the midfield. So if you protect the midfield by dropping them in deeper, playing with, with the counter-attacking football, you have to drop the back four because you can't play with two holding midfielders and the four uh, defence within 15 yards of each other because that diagonal ball in behind for third man running is still on. Napoli away, and it was a drubbing, uh -huh. should have been alarm bells that it was too easy for Osimhen and, and other players to get in around the back of us simply by giving a wall pass and then get the third man running. So just, just too easy. Give and yeah. go, and by then your man's off and running. And all you've got to do is play the ball into an area. It's kind of like when teams figured out Barcelona, when they had Puyol and PK playing, and all you needed to do was, was sit in front of their back four and pop balls into the channels because both of them were slow. And both of them are not able to get there. And they will leave a massive postcode-sized gaps between them. <laughs> Liverpool yeah. need to change, change the way they approach the game. They need to play deeper. They need to play on a counter-attack. And they need to protect that midfield. We've got to stop asking Thiago to play as a, as a, as a guy running back towards his own goal, picking the ball up on the edge of the box and trying ridiculous uh, passes to release people that are being intercepted and straight away we're under pressure. And that would be Wolves' first goal, where he started the pressure by where Alisson passed it to Guedes and he scored. That comes yeah. from Thiago trying to drop a shoulder and sidestep someone 10 yards in front of his box. So all of the evidence is there to say, make that change. All of the evidence is there to say, drop off, use your biggest asset. Now, our biggest asset would be quick transition in pace. Fair. All right. Well, I'm, I'm hoping he does. I mean, for your sake, because I like you. I don't like the club, I <laughs> like you, so. <laughs> so I'm hoping not because I mean, look, all due respect, I mean, May United and Liverpool, we're not, we're not, we're not friends by any chance, but yeah. there's a massive respect between each other because we're the two biggest and historic clubs in the land by far, in my opinion, by far. And um, no, I, I respect Klopp as a manager as well. Um, so there's hoping just here to hope that he does turn it around because a better Liverpool is better for the Premier League as well. So yeah, Basti. Thank you so much for that. Um, I know it's not be easy to talk about your club, as you said at the beginning, but um, hopefully when I bring you on next time, you'll have a lot more of a, a cheerier approach because <laughs> I know it's not easy. Um, both our clubs have been through it. It happens in football. Yes, it does. You're the one that told me football happens in cycles. The day you told me that, I realised, yeah, I just got to take my time and actually brief because now, after 19 years of not competing properly for a Premier League title, Arsenal are right at the top leading in the pack right now, you know, and... You know, they had to wait their turn. Sometimes things happen. How many before. times did I say to Cahill, you have to persist with Mikel Arteta? You did. You did. And the funny thing about that now is everyone that comes to the podcast, he's beating him up about it because he, he has to apologise. No, I mean, it's football, but I get it. Uh, as, a, as a passionate Arsenal fan as well for him, when Arteta, it wasn't going well for Arteta, he wasn't confident that he'd turn it around, but he's turned it around in a big way and he's doing a great job. Um, but yeah, so um, for everyone else listening, thank you so much for listening. This will also be out on the audios as, and all the videos as well for your YouTubes and your Spotify's and so on and so forth. But Steve, before we go, of course, please let them know where they can find you. Yeah, get me on uh, my socials at Steve Plunk. 
uh, for Liverpool fans or anyone that wants to hear a little bit more about Liverpool, I'm uh, also employed by Red Men TV, the Red Men TV, which is outside of LFC TV, the biggest Liverpool fan channel um, there is. Um, you can come and see all the stuff we do there. Um, some of it's behind a paywall, some of it's free. Um, but by all means, come and check it out. As I say, if you're a Liverpool fan and you're looking for some podcast uh, material, there's plenty of stuff for you there. But as ever, Kojo, an absolute pleasure to um, to come on your channel. Um, I always try to make myself available for you guys because like you said before, I like you, so it's quite easy to do. Um, and if, guys, you stumbled across three midfield for the first time, when you're going through football podcasts, trying to find some drive-to-work material, get these guys subscribed to because the, the, the top blokes and uh, another football, um, I don't go on anybody's channel. I, I genuinely enjoy spending some time talking football with these chaps. So uh, get them subscribed to. It'll be the best thing you do from the football point of view for some time. Good fellas with good content. Appreciate the kind words, man. Thank you so much. And you have to see follow as well because you ain't going to find any... Twitter, football, nonsense on his channel. Only good stuff. And Redman as well. I checked out Redman as well. And I'm actually a big fan of Redman. I'm not going to lie. I like, I like the show so, and the channel in general. So I, I'm watching content. It takes a lot for me to watch Liverpool content. So you guys are pretty good. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's Kojo Freeman for podcast. Um, yeah, have a good night.